The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Alumni Ventures. Invest with confidence. Discover the power of venture investing with Alumni Ventures, America's largest venture firm for individual investors. Learn more at av.vc. LinkedIn presents. To get people off the fence, to get people on your side, you have to make an emotional appeal. You have to focus on what Aristotle called pathos. And to do that, you have to use language that engages with their emotions. You have to be willing to show your own emotions, your passion for the argument you're making. And above all else, you have to be able to tell stories. Hey, everyone. It's Wednesday and time for a new episode of the Next Big Idea Daily. I'm your host, Michael Kavnat. So do you know how to win an argument? Whether you're debating politics with someone online or trying to convince your colleagues of a business strategy, the art of persuasion is an incredibly useful one. If you'd like to brush up on your skills, listen to these big ideas from Win Every Argument, The Art of Debating, Persuading, and Public Speaking by Mehdi Hassan. Mehdi is the host of The Mehdi Hassan Show on MSNBC and Peacock, and his op-eds have appeared in The New York Times and The Washington Post. Here he is. Feel your way to victory. I think it was Ben Shapiro, the conservative pundit, who popularized the phrase, facts don't care about your feelings. But what about the reverse? What if our feelings don't care about the facts? Author Dale Carnegie famously described human beings not as creatures of logic, but as creatures of emotion. The truth is that we often feel rather than think or deduce our way toward a particular position or viewpoint. The scientists say that some of our biggest and best decisions involve a jolt of emotion. Because human beings, to quote Professor Anthony DiMarzio, the acclaimed neuroscientist and expert on the brain, are basically feeling machines that think. So to get people off the fence, to get people on your side, you have to make an emotional appeal. You have to focus on what Aristotle called pathos. And to do that, you have to use language that engages with their emotions. You have to be willing to show your own emotions, your passion for the argument you're making. And above all else, you have to be able to tell stories. As Plato is said to have remarked, those who tell stories rule society. We human beings love a good story, a great narrative. The human brain is hardwired, say the experts, not for long lists of facts and figures, but for storytelling. So you want to win an argument? You need good anecdotes and gripping narratives to connect with your audience and to get your points across. As Wharton Professor of Marketing and Psychology Deborah Small explained to me, stories that are concrete rather than abstract, personal and narrative in form tend to evoke more emotion. Facts matter, but feelings matter more. And if you win their hearts, you win their heads. Play the ball and the man. When I was a kid, playing soccer in school, although we called it football, that's the right word, the coach made it very clear to me. You go after not the player who has the ball, but only the ball itself. You tackle the player and that's a foul. So you play the ball, not the man, as the saying goes. And when I got to college and started debating, I was told the same thing. You play the ball, not the man. You go after the argument of your opponent, not the opponent themselves. Personal attacks are seen as off-limits. 
ad hominem arguments or arguments literally to the person, that's what ad hominem means, are a big no-no. They are considered to be logical fallacies. The problem is, as Aristotle explained more than 2,000 years ago, that audiences place a great deal of value on the ethos of a speaker, their personal character and credibility, their standing, their expertise, their qualifications. That stuff, whether you like it or not, makes a difference when it comes to whether or not people are willing to be convinced or persuaded. So you have to be willing at times to question or even try and undermine your opponent's credibility. And I get it. It might feel a little icky to challenge your opponent so directly, so personally, but it sometimes has to be done. Look, I'm not even asking you to emulate the legendary Roman orator and debater Cicero, who would hurl vicious invective at his opponents, calling them names Trump-style, making fun of not just their arguments, but their appearances too. I'm not telling you to do that. What I am saying is, for example, if a medical professional is making a bad argument, but saying, trust me, I'm a doctor, if they're making a pro-hominem argument, you have every right to challenge their medical qualifications, their record as a doctor, their past history of claims or predictions. You have every right to go ad hominem. The same applies to conflicts of interest. If the guy opposite you, denying climate change, is funded by fossil fuel companies that profit off of climate change, why would you not bring that up in an argument? Why would you not call that out? Come on, the worst kept secret in the world of debate is that argument to the person can be both legitimate and effective. So don't be a fool. Don't be a sucker. Don't be a loser. Don't ignore the power of a good ad hom. Don't be afraid to concede. Sometimes you're having an argument with someone and they make a rather brilliant point. Perhaps something you hadn't considered or anticipated. Perhaps even something you have no response for. And yet rather than concede that point, you double down. You dig in. You refuse to budge. Don't do that. Don't be afraid to concede from time to time. In fact, it can help you. It can actually give you the upper hand in a debate by catching your opponent off guard. The ancient Greeks called it synchoresis. Basically, conceding a point so that you can come back later with a stronger point. It's a bit like judo, which is derived from the Japanese word meaning flexible or yielding. In judo, you're not trying to use kicks or punches to knock your opponent to the ground. You're trying to yield here or there to unbalance them, to use their energy against them, to throw them down, ideally when they least expect it. So you can concede a point here or there to throw an unsuspecting debate opponent off balance. You can surprise them by preempting their points. You can even reframe the entire argument in your own favor whenever you get the chance. Again, leaving your opponent floundering. These are all rhetorical judo moves that they won't see coming. To quote Kano Jiguro, the founder of judo, resisting a more powerful opponent will result in your defeat, while adjusting to and evading your opponent's attack will cause him to lose balance. His power will be reduced and you will defeat him. The rule of three is your friend. Whether I'm arguing with a politician on air over Middle East policy or arguing with my kid over how much ice cream they can have for dessert, I always try and have three main points. Three killer arguments. A, B, C. One, two, three. First, 
Second, third, what's called the rule of three can be central to making a good argument, to winning a debate. Because three, to quote Schoolhouse Rock, is the magic number. Think of those famous lines of political rhetoric from human history. Think liberté, égalité, fraternité, the French national motto. Or life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness from the US Declaration of Independence. Or Abraham Lincoln's government of the people, by the people, for the people. Those lines have impact. Those lines change hearts and minds. Because when you put your argument forward in three words or three parts as a triad, they stick in people's heads. They're easier to remember and they rouse and even inspire. Why? Because as cognitive psychologist Nelson Cowan told me, our working memory can basically remember up to three basic units or chunks or ideas at once. Three, he says, therefore, is a good rule of thumb. So make sure you have three main points and make sure you have a beginning, middle and an end because three also gives you what Cowan calls a stable structure. It helps you organize your arguments, your thoughts, your speeches, your presentations. Again, in a way that people find easier to absorb, remember, and ideally agree with. You cannot afford to forget or ignore the rule of three. As people have pointed out for years, it covers it all, from birth, life, and death to past, present, and future. But once you master it, the rule of three will have you winning arguments left, right, and center. Be prepared. Too many of us pick an argument. We start a rhetorical and very public fight with other people without being at all prepared for it, without having researched our arguments or practiced delivering them out loud. There is a weird laziness I often find when it comes to making arguments. We're either overconfident and we think we can just wing it, or we lack confidence and think we'll never be able to have what it takes to address a big crowd or win them over. Look, you cannot win an argument if you're not ready for that argument. You cannot engage in any kind of public speaking without the right amount and type of preparation. The reality is that the best debaters and orators in human history had to do the grunt work, put in the hours. Practice, practice, practice. Go back to ancient Greece and the great statesman Demosthenes, who Cicero called the perfect orator. But as a young man, Demosthenes was a dreadful speaker and ended up retreating into an underground lair, Batman style, for months at a time to work on his voice and on his delivery. He even shaved the hair off of half of his head so he'd be too embarrassed to go outside, so he'd be forced to stay underground and practice. In front of a mirror, by the way. Something you should try. More recently in the 20th century, there was the young Winston Churchill who froze mid-sentence in the middle of a memorized speech to the House of Commons, unable to complete his thought. He was completely, utterly, publicly humiliated that day. But Churchill never let that happen again. He practiced aloud while walking in the street. He practiced in private while sitting in his bathtub. He began keeping copious typewritten notes in front of him whenever he spoke in public or debated in Parliament. Nothing wrong with using notes, by the way, nothing at all. That can be a key part of the preparation and, yes, delivery process too. My point is this. Just don't cut corners. Give me six hours to chop down a tree, that great orator President Abraham Lincoln once said, and I will spend the first four sharpening the axe. So spend all the time it takes to sharpen your axe, to sharpen your arguments, 
And make sure you hone your delivery, the way you look, the way you sound, the way you stand, until it's as sharp as can be. Because it all counts. And because you can never, ever be too prepared. That's how you win an argument. That's how you should win an argument. Thank you, Mehdi. Okay, people, let's go sharpen our axes. In making an argument, in just about anything in life, actually, preparation is key. Okay, I'm going to go prepare tomorrow's episode. It's going to be all about the dying art of civility and what we can do to bring it back. Remember, if you're worried about missing any of these episodes, it's okay. Don't panic. Take a breath. You can subscribe to my newsletter, where I summarize the week's podcasts and send you links you can use to stay caught up. Subscribe using the link in the episode notes or search for Next Big Idea Club on LinkedIn. I'm Michael Kavnat. See you tomorrow.